Welcome to the Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life Show. Your host, Carol Dixon Carr, is an educator of and a participant in many eclectic subjects, and she loves it that way. Each week, she'll bring you episodes and stories on how you can navigate those multiple passions while managing your mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional energy in your life as a whole. So here's Carol. All right. Hello, I am here with the maestro, also known as Lincoln Noel. <laughs> He's a top drawer entertaining pianist performing online regularly. He is the creator of bespoke musical video telegrams for birthdays. Say that 10 times faster. So he does this for uh, birthdays, Valentine's Day, and business shoutouts, and is currently writing and preparing two online courses, one for wedding couples and the second for aspiring performers. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Carol. Great to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm breaking the multi-passionate rules a little bit today as we're getting nitty gritty with my absolute favorite passion, music. But I'm sure my singularly, singularly focused and charming maestro will find a way to spin it. So we're still spinning a few plates. We'll see. So, yeah, you're such an interesting fellow. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, I mean, to be a uh, professional musician in 2021, you've got to be a multi-purpose guy because nobody does just one thing anymore. I was discussing with uh, um, one of my mentors who got me started. She she gave me my first professional job. She is head of piano at the uh, Royal Academy of Music in London, where I taught. And she said that today's students have got to be great pianists, They've got to be aware of marketing. They've got to be aware of social media and they've got to be aware of different genres. They cannot just be good classical pianists. They've got to have an awareness of jazz. They've got to have an awareness of pop music. And I thought that was significant coming from here, but her, because when I went to the Royal Academy of Music as an 18 year old, uh, that was 1984, just to give uh, your, your listeners uh, an opportunity to work out that I'm 55 now. So, you know, back in 1984, kids went to a um, conservatoire. Let's, that's what the Academy, Royal Academy is. And they were singularly programmed for one thing, classical music. For some of them, they were singularly programmed for classical. So they were playing one period, Beethoven, Mozart, Haydn, they weren't playing romantic music. They weren't playing Baroque music. Never mind theatre, West End, Broadway, Disney. You know, they, some of these kids couldn't even spell Disney. And now they've got a, you know, a, a jobbing musician has got to be ready to do absolutely anything. So actually, I think that the, the, the professional musician has got to be a multi-plate spinning person because today it's classical music and tomorrow it might be a wedding and they're playing Elvis because that's what's required. And on Wednesday, they'll probably be re-recording the music for one of the Disney classics. And on Thursday, they'll be accompanying somebody singing Leader. And on Friday, they'll be accompanying somebody singing Fly Me to the Moon. So, you know, you've got to, you have got to get your head from one space to another and be able to keep several balls in the air. Is that fair? 
It's absolutely fair. I think about my own, and like, like I say, you are so. I know you got your ten thousand hours early, so <laughs> I know you did. You were probably still a teenager, maybe a young teenager, maybe prepubescent. I don't know. So I always think of those people like, boy, they just really know what they want. Whereas I, you know, I played these instruments, and that. I never mastered any of them. I could say maybe I mastered my voice before I stopped performing for a while, but honestly. Yeah. I really felt like I was more breath than depth, but it's still such a big passion that I 100% get that you have to be mindful of all the things because gospel is my jam, but yeah. I'll sing chamber and, and all the Latin stuff too, just so I can get my groove going <laughs> that way too. Yes. So it's awesome stuff. Yeah. So why don't we rewind a little bit back and just talk about how you just really became interested in the music realm or piano because we know we know because my husband got a birthday telegram from you my mom got a birthday <laughs> telegram from you my, and she, they were both just like and they're both people who don't cry neither of them do but yeah they were so moved it, it was amazing i love it how you just just knocked it out and sent it I'm like that that's talented so you know you you can do this in your sleep it's pretty amazing but how did you get started wow okay so um I'll give you the, for the short version. I was playing the pots and pans in my mum's kitchen when I was a toddler. I had a cousin who was a fantastic pianist, and my mother decided to send me for piano lessons with his teacher, who initially thought I was too young at the age of four. Uh, here in the UK, you know, in September, we start school in the year that we are going to turn five, and I with a Christmas birthday was four in September 1970. I went to my first piano lesson, two 15 minute lessons a week for a couple of weeks. And my teacher realized that actually I had the, I had the capacity to focus for 30 minutes. So I stayed with her for 11 years and she took me through all the grades. Here in England, we do the, uh, the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music exams which of course has royal patronage with the Queen and Princess Diana, uh, the late Princess Diana. And I did the eight grades with Molly Tomlin and then I got a scholarship to go to London. To uh, I live in the middle of the UK, so London's an hour away on the train for my piano lessons from age 16 to 18. And then I entered the Royal Academy of Music for four years. And in my fourth year, I was asked to do a show about Paul Robeson. Now, Paul Robeson, of course, is an American. His pianist was black. They needed a black pianist who was classically trained. And London is full of uh, black cats who could play jazz, but they, they, they were struggling to find the right type of classically trained pianist. And Joanna, who was an ex-academy student, approached my teacher who occupied the role that she occupies now as head of piano. And he said, Lincoln is your man. Um, I did a few tests, sight reading tests. Um, I sat and played Old Man River and that was it. I was sold, or she, or she was sold, I should say. And I went straight into the West End and my professional performing career started in earnest from there. Although I have to rewind and say that at the age of 12, I played my first wedding. I was a church organist. I was a church pianist and then a church organist. So I played my first wedding at the age of 12, 13. Um, so being paid 
a nominal fee to play the piano uh, was already in the system. So eight years later, when I played the pro show, um, I was very accustomed to playing to people uh, performing uh, for a fee. And that just took it onto another sphere. And uh, that's 33 years ago. And I'm still here. And I'm still uh, still thriving. Yeah, that's very nice. That's inspiring, too, because I originally wanted to major in music. And my mom had well-meaning, you know, you know I, my mom just said, well, you have such an analytical, mathematical brain. Why don't you just do it as a hobby? So <laughs> that's what I was. That was I took my mom's advice and till you know i was in my mid-40s when i that was the first time i got a paid singing gig was in my mid-40s so i was a little late but you never never you know it, it is what it is once you're all grown up you can make your own decisions right but it's cool yeah. that you were able to hit the ground running and and know exactly what you wanted to do very awesome but i know that even with the singularly focused piano music and you mentioned it earlier all those things the social media etc but there are also things just generally about your own self-care managing your mental emotional spiritual and physical energy as you navigate this passion and the logistics of everyday life that goes into family and business and marketing and social media how do you do it wow Poor, we'd need hours no i think that you've got to take the advice of good people I saw Yehudi Menuhin play the violin when I was six years old. And watching him play, and this was live in Northamptonshire where I live. So the great Yehudi Menuhin, for, for those who don't know, he was a violinist. See somebody of that international stature um, in my county play the violin. He played violin concerto. Um, I didn't mention that I became a violinist. Uh, I took up the violin at 11. I was fascinated by the orchestra and I thought, well, if, if I play the piano, I'm never going to join an orchestra. So I took up the violin and got a lot of orchestral experience that way. And it also made me a better musician. I think that you've got to take the advice of the good people you meet on your journey. You know, the journey of life, you meet people on your journey at various pit stops. Many, many people tell you a lot of rubbish. You learn to understand when somebody of note is talking to you. And all the successful people that I've spoken to have given me great advice. And I've sort of put that advice in my pocket and acted on it. Successful people are busy people. Busy people have got to be organized and organized people get where they're going quicker than the people who are not. So I have studied successful people from day one, whether they are in sport, which is a huge passion of mine, or they are in politics, academics, TV personalities, musicians. I am inspired by anybody who's out there making a difference because anybody that's making a difference is having to swim against the tide and they're having to come up against barriers you know i was talking to my wife prior to coming onto this call and talking about opposition and you know nobody has an easy path to success true and you must accept 
that there's a challenge. If you don't face the challenges head on, you're going nowhere. I mean, we are both people of color and of course, racism will play a part in your journey of life. That is a factor, but I don't, I don't want to be exclusive to black people who are listening. There are white people out there who have huge challenges. So everybody's got a challenge. I know, I know the Black Lives Matter thing is a, is a very big narrative that's playing out. And that affects all of us because a lot of my friends are white um, and they have their challenges and I have my challenges. So it's not, it's not straightforward to just blame everything on race right. or on class or on personality or bad luck, you've got to uh, get in your rowing boat and you've got to swim against the tide. And sometimes you've got to swim damn hard against the tide. And then suddenly the sun comes out and you go, hey, I can do this. I always remember when I got that opportunity with uh, Joanna to do the, the show about Paul Robeson, I remember on the first day of rehearsal, I was sitting with people that I had seen on television, people that I wondered if I would ever meet one day. And here I am sitting with those people. So that was a sunshine moment. And I thought, you know what? I must be doing something right because here I am as an equal sitting around a table with some fantastic people. So you've got to celebrate your wins. You've got to acknowledge your wins. And when people who are worth something speak, shut up. <laughs> right? Take it in. We must watch The X Factor pop. We have The X Factor in Britain. You have Pop Idol. And these ordinary folk come from far and wide to talk to our friends Simon Cowell and Paula Abdul and the Jackson Boy and, and all the other people that sit on the panel. And um, these guys who have actually achieved something say to these mere mortals, what you need to do is X and Y and Z. And these people go, oh, no, no, I don't need to listen to you. Well, yes, you do. Because if you, if you were already at the game, you wouldn't be here. So you want to get through this door. And there's somebody here who's showing you how to get through that door. Once you're through the door, you can say to that person, well, I'm not going to take your advice anymore. But for the purposes of where you are, you've got to take the advice of the people who can get you to the next stage. And I think that lots and lots of people don't listen. We live in a world where a lot of people make a lot of noise. Here we are. There's a lot of background noise. There's a lot of noise on LinkedIn. There's a lot of noise on Facebook. There's a lot of noise on Twitter. There's a lot of noise in Clubhouse. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of noise in TikTok. And sometimes you've got to step back and go, hang on, I'm going to do some listening for a change. Absolutely. You will get your chance to speak. But more critically, I find that the people who have done best, and I'm not talking just about music. Right, right. It's, you know, I take a lot of inspiration from sports people and I've been lucky enough to meet uh, a lot of successful sports people at the top of the game, especially in my, my, my chosen sport, which is uh, you guys will call soccer. We've got the Premier League. We've got football. I've met some very successful football managers. I've met Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, you know, people will know that he is Manchester United. Um, he is a pianist. And he, he told me that he took the players 
to uh, Bridgewater Hall in Manchester to watch the Halle Orchestra play. And then he said to the boys in training the next day, did you see how they worked to the team? It wasn't just the violins. It wasn't just the cellos, the clarinets, the flutes, the brass, the trumpets, the trombones, the French horns. Look how that orchestra comes together. And they've got a conductor. And so we, to be a successful team, have got to be like the Halle Orchestra. And I thought, wow, you know, and there's all these musicians that say, well, these analogies about sport have got nothing to do with music. Some of the best musicians, some of the best sports people that I've ever met play musical instruments. And some of the best musicians I've ever worked with are sport mad. So there's got to be something in it. The, the achievement is achievement. And people, I know that, for instance, Sir Alex loves reading about thinkers of the day and the politicians. You know, he would be interested in Barack, Barack Obama's story. You know, I'm interested in Donald Trump's story. He was, it, it may sound sort of daft, but I was very, very fascinated by, by Donald Trump, how he, he wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. And I, I actually read that way back yeah. in the day, even though I didn't vote for him. I did read that book. Yeah. I did. A you know, and it's a fascinating, it's yeah. a fascinating tale of a man who's actually on his knees and how he got back. I know that there's a lot of bluster with Donald Trump. But there's a kind of a, there's a lot of self, the one thing that Trump has got is self-belief. And that's a positive exterior to a fault, of course. There are times when he should have stepped out and said, you know what, guys, I was wrong. But sometimes when you're fighting to get up there, you've got to be like a lion. And, and, and I've got to give it to Trump. I don't agree with certain aspects of his integrity, but I did take a lot from that book and uh, his other book that he wrote when he launched The Apprentice called How to Get Rich. Wealth isn't just about the cash, it's about the wealth of, uh, of your mind. There are a lot of people out there that have got limiting beliefs and it's those limiting beliefs that stop them getting where they get. So I suppose that the, the, the premise of our story, your podcast, uh, of, of the multi-layered existence that if you don't believe you can manage all these things if you don't think you can juggle all the balls because you've got limiting beliefs the likelihood is you are going to drop the ball you're trying to juggle or you know if you're juggling eggs they're going to smash if you tell yourself you're going to smash the eggs you'll smash the egg and you're going to go nowhere and that self-fulfilling prophecy well you know well you know I didn't think I could do it. If you if you convince yourself you're going to do it, I say to my I say to my piano students that uh, if if the guys are lined up for the Super Bowl, the players don't say to one another, "Do you know what? Those guys over there, they look big. They're bigger than us. We'll never win this game." Because if they tell themselves that, they'll lose the Super Bowl. We've got something called the Cup Final, two Cup Finals in in England. The teams walk out into Wembley. You know, the players don't walk out looking at the other team and say these fellas look better than us. You know, I can't imagine that when Muhammad Ali was fighting Frazier, he said to himself, you know, Joe Frazier, he's, he's a, he, he fights a better, he, he throws a bigger punch than me. You know, Muhammad Ali always, I love, the thing I love about Muhammad Ali is that he was going to tell you he's going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And there was an advert he used to do for an aftershave, the great smell of brute and the punch of Ali. You know, he, he, he was... He was shouting the odds. He believed he was going to win the fight. He got the, the momentum of the crowd you know, behind him. He believed. You've got to believe. 
Um, and I and I think that you know if you've got uh, those those kind of limiting beliefs, you can't believe. You can't believe if you if you limit your your possibilities, you're not going. You're not going to get very far. Right. Absolutely. And I'm thinking, boy, there's a lot. And I should have been taking notes because there was a lot of things I wanted to unpack as you were talking, but I did not want to interrupt. Where are you? Oh, yeah, because this is good, juicy stuff. Rewinding back to thinking about not having a chip on your shoulder as we go through this. This is me paraphrasing because, like I said, yeah. I, was just, I was taking it in and being present. But because, like we said, there is there are always going to be some level, underlying level of, okay, are they discriminating against me or is it, am I not on the top of my game? And so I think that we tend to work a little harder because of that. I think I, this has been my experience for people who, like you said, you're surrounding yourself with people who can encourage you and you're watching people who work hard, like sports folks, they work hard. And and I love the um, the metaphor of putting the, the team together, the, the orchestra metaphor. And I noticed, because I'm also in fitness, I teach things to music and people usually pass their certification for whatever format. They usually pass it on the first go because they are in tune to the music, that kind of thing. So there are things that you can layer with sports, athleticism and music. I had somebody who was a karate person uh, who, a couple weeks ago and uh, so it's really nice how you can put all those layers together and also eating the hay and leaving the sticks because you you and i have talked about trump before and i'm trying to keep this respectful <laughs> but <laughs> i'm trying to keep this respectful so but like i said there are things that i learned from him before all of that and so i i so these are the nuggets that i'm taking from what you're saying and the limiting the beliefs, I think part of the problem with that, and I don't know if you said it or not, I know I was thinking, but a lot of the times that you get stuck in those limiting beliefs because of the people that we associate with also. And so if we're mindful of the people we hang out with, I think that is half the battle. Yes. Yeah. So, and I don't know if that's what, you, I don't know if you had said that you had, the, I know you had a lot of good mentors in your life and there might've been some naysayers in there. What would you say to people who are in your face about telling you that you, because there's always something, because I might, where I have a, a graduate degree in economics where, you know, black women just don't generally do. So I had my own fair share of stuff of people telling me I couldn't do it. And I said, you're just going to have to kick, kick me out. <laughs> Kicking and screaming, I am not going to go quietly. I, I don't know if you had any of those encounters where people have said, mm, no, I don't think you can do it. Or were you always just, I got it going on from the beginning? No, I think that uh, I, th I was always told, I mean, we, we, you know, neither of us have, have, have lived our early lives surrounded by loads and loads and loads and loads of people of our own ethnicity. I live in middle England. And people would always ask me about racism. And I said, that, yeah, of course, racism is, exists, but I've never allowed it to be a factor. I concentrate on the people who are for me as opposed to the people that are against me. But the further up the chain you go, you the, the more opposition you get. Uh, someone said to me just recently that uh, the more opposition you get, the more successful you're becoming. 
there will always be people that don't want to see you as a success. So if you're a child and you're, you know, as a child playing the piano, there was very little opposition to me playing the piano. But from the age of 16, when I started to really get serious and people could see that I was getting into the right areas was when I started to get the opposition. And looking back with hindsight, I realized, uh, I mean, a lot of that opposition took me to some very dark places and I had to get out of those dark places. Now, I had difficulties at, at, at music college. I had difficulties in the early part of my professional life. I had self-doubt at certain points. And you've got to, you, 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 yeah, you, you've got to, to fight all of that. And a lot of that, you know, you're actually doing fine. You've just got to keep believing. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the further, you know, people of people in power, people who have powerful position in life, have always said to me, the, the the more significant you become, the more opposition you're going to get. Um, uh, there's one particular gentleman that I I played for, who who was talking to his friend, and he was asking whether a particular person was tough enough. And I said, why did you ask that question? And he said, because to be successful, got to be, not everyone's going to love you. And you have to accept that people are going to hate you. But it's not personal. It's not that they hate you. It's just that they hate the fact that you're successful. And that's, that's a form of jealousy. Right. And also a form of admiration. Right. And you can't see it for that because you just feel the negative vibes that they're that they're creating but in actual in a backhanded way they're playing they're paying you a compliment I, I i alluded to the fact that i'm a big football fan and i watched a lot of lower division football matches as a child and black players got booed and uh, in the early 70s mid to late 70s i should say um and one of those players i met later on in life and he scored a significant goal in the ground and that goal became goal of the season and the reason lots of people have said to, who were there said to me the reason why we were booing him is because he was so good mm. so just because negative stuff is happening that doesn't mean to say that you are making mistakes negative stuff happens for a variety of reasons uh and and, and sometimes it's fear people fear change and progress so they'll try and throw you off course you know people will try and create fear oh you're doing all of that stuff you must be exhausted no i'm just so busy doing what i'm doing i don't think about being exhausted you're trying to put the seed of exhaust exhaustion into my head i'm not thinking about being tired i'm thinking about where i'm going and how i'm going to get there you know there's all sorts of mental tricks that other human beings play on each other and and the most important thing is to uh, I talk about the route. I call it the route to London. Northampton to London is a straight road. People say I'm going to go to London. They've got a map, and they got to follow the M1 and go all the way to London. But for some reason, if the journey to London is the journey of life, some people stop at Milton Keynes, some people stop at Watford, some people stop at Hemel Hempstead. Very few get to London, even though they've got sat nav. And they've got the map and all I have to do is do this and this and this and this, but they can't get it done. You know, you talked about fitness and um, 
you know, I'm a chap that's got to lose a few pounds and I work out with my chariot and my trainer, Joe. And even though he's in the UK, I know he's going to be listening to this because he really loves to hear what I've got to say. <laughs> uh, Joe's helping me, you know, Joe's helped me to, to, to rediscover the fitness that I had as a child. I was a real keen sportsman. You know, if I had followed my sport, I would have taken that gold medal off. I would have taken three medals off. Well, actually, I'd have taken all of Carl Lewis's medals off him. I was a, a 100 meter sprinter, a 200 meter sprinter. I was a long jumper. I was the anchor man on the relay. And if I'd have been at Los Angeles, Carl Lewis wouldn't have had any gold medals. Ah. They would have, they would have been calling me Jesse Owens. <laughs> Lincoln Knoll is the new Jesse Owens. Your man in Ben Johnson. I would have, you know, I'd have taken Calvin Smith, Ben Johnson, all of them out. You know. But I chose music, so... Um, there you, you go, know. you had your focus, yeah. I did, I did all those things you did too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was. you mentioned that you did the long jump and the sprinting. I did all that as a youngster too, yeah. But my goal, especially at my age, because you're, you're just like a year and a half older than I am, I say as long as I'm moving and I'm healthy, I'm cool. I don't need to be skinny. I just need to be healthy and I need yeah. to be mobile. That's, that's my goal in life. That's my goal for the people who come to my classes, but... Yeah, I love this whole sports metaphor. I hate that I interrupted you, but I wanted to just inject that in there. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. As you were, sir. <laughs> there are a lot of people uh, in England and the States, because I've got a lot of, made a lot of friends in the States in, in, uh, in lockdown who are listening to this or who will, who will have enjoyed the fact that you interrupted me. Don't worry about it. My wife will be at the front of that queue. Shut him down. Shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, you've given us a lot of good gold nuggets as we're going on this journey. And if there's anything you'd like to add to give the listeners going forward when they're pursuing their dreams, I mean, you've said so much, but if there's any other last words of wisdom, even for people both singularly focused and those who have multiple passions, what else, any other last words of wisdom around that? You can only do what you're doing. So, you know, Every day we've got lots and lots of things to fulfill. Concentrate on what you're doing at the time. Concentrate on the person you're dealing with at the time. And uh, celebrate every action and every person. Because uh, life is very, very short and people are very, very precious. That has been the mantra that I've always worked by. My dad said to me when I was young that I would play for kings and queens. I have played for the Queen of England. And I'm very proud of that fact more than once. But everybody that I play for is royal. Nice. Everybody that I play for is royal. I'm going to be having a conversation after this with a girl whose wedding I'm going to play for. And I'm going to tell her, as I say to all my girls and boys, that she is going to be the queen of the day when I'm playing. And I want her to feel so special that she feels royal. I'm not going to, I don't treat anybody better than anybody else. So if I'm playing for people that are at government level, I haven't played for Prime Minister Johnson, but I've met his father. Um, if, you know, if I'm dealing with those people, they're important. If I'm dealing with the royal family, they're important. If I'm talking to Bob or Tina or Tamara or, or Tammy or Toby or, or Chuck, they, when I am working with them, are my royal family they are my royal people and look after the the small details the big stuff will take care of itself as long as you look after the details 
Good stuff. Real good stuff. So how can people get a hold of you? I have to get a hold of all this stuff so I can put it in the show notes <laughs> so people can <laughs> click some links and then book you. And then they can have a wonderful video telegram like Daryl oh, and I did oh. and my mama. <laughs> I don't feel so emotional like you did with Daryl and your mother. Lincoln yeah. Noel is on uh, Lincoln Noel. The Maestro is in the UK. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. Um, I am on Twitter, Tinkling Lincoln the Maestro. I am on Instagram, Tinkling Lincoln the Maestro. I am on Clubhouse, Tinkling Lincoln. I am on TikTok, Tinkling Lincoln. Oh, wow. Um, it's the Gen X on TikTok. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Tinkling Lincoln, just Google Lincoln Noel or Tinkling Lincoln. Do not put a G on the end of Tinkling. Tinkling Lincoln. And my website is Lincoln Noel, Noel, N-O-E-L, Lincoln Noel Piano Music dot co dot UK is my website. And everything you need to know about me is there. And uh, if you've listened to this podcast and you liked it and you want to tell me, just drop me a message on any of those social media platforms and just say hi and say what you enjoyed. And you can pepper me with questions on there. So that's me. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you for hanging out with me for a bit. I appreciate it. And then I'm going to let you go on about your day. And I'm going to go on about my day as I move on to my next session from Pilates to economics to spreadsheet to piano. Not your level of piano, but piano nonetheless. Hey, Carol, it doesn't matter. Everybody plays. The most important thing is that people play and people share. And I know that you share with many, many people. So, you know, that's the most important thing. There are people I know who are brilliant, who never share. And I think that is so, so sad. So it doesn't matter where you are. It's the fact that you are contributing to the game of life. And that's the exactly. most important thing. So, no, thanks for having me on. It's yeah. been brilliant to, to, to hang out with uh, Carol Dixon Carr. On the podcast this has been a real 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 hoot thank you so much absolutely it's been a blast thank you for listening to managing your multi-passionate life with carol dixon carr if you'd like to continue the conversation on these topics head on over to the free managing your multi-passionate life facebook group you can find the link in the show notes along with other resources and if any of carol's words resonate with you feel free to subscribe leave a review, and share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Until next time.